0: Hello and welcome to the Ask the Geographer podcast series from the Department of Education and Outdoor Learning at the Royal Geographical Society with IBG. I'm Harry. In each podcast, I'll meet geographers from around the world to ask them about topical events, timely publications and geographical research. Dr. Clara Mano is a pelagic marine ecologist for the British Antarctic Survey, an organisation based in Cambridge that focuses on world-leading scientific research in the polar regions Now I know what you're thinking, what does pelagic mean? It refers to the open ocean. Clara best describes her work as a polar ecosystems-based scientist and has released in this year alone, academic papers on sub-Antarctic nanoplastics, the A68 Megaberg and work on zooplankton and microplastic. Today, we're going to discuss plastic in the Southern Ocean and why we should all be worried about it. For a free interactive on Antarctic microplastics, go to the Resources for Schools section of our website and search Discovering the Weddell Sea. Clara, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thank you for inviting me, Harry. Firstly,
0: uh, what is the problem with marine plastic?
1: Okay, first of all, we need to think about that uh, most of the plastic that uh, have been produced and we waste at the end end up in the ocean. And that's mean that the problem of plastic in the marine ecosystem is quite a global concern. It's a problem that involves all the ocean, all the sea. In fact, what we uh, should focus is that the problem is not just a direct impact. We know very well the direct impact because we know that marine ecosystem uh, and the marine species can just get trapped inside plastic fragment like plastic bag. But the problem is much more, it's not stop here. In fact, when plastic end up in the ocean, once it's there, start starts to degrade, start to just uh, fragment in very small pieces. It is because there is a lot of weathering process, weathering process like ultraviolet light, but also the wave. The wave generates a lot of uh, fragmentation. And then plastic becomes more and more small in size. And probably you are familiar with the terminology microplastic or even nanoplastic that can be small than a grain of rice. So small than five millimetres when we talk about microplastic. And why they are so dangerous? Why we should concern about this small uh, fragment of microplastic? Think about that if tomorrow we decide to stop the plastic production what's happened is that we don't get the problem solved because what is in the ocean will keep going to degrade, will keep going to fragment, and will keep going to generate micro and nano fragment. So the process of degradation will be there all the time. So it's not something that we can just resolve, just stop the production of plastic.
0: And for clarity's sake, um, how does microplastic differ from nanoplastic and general marine plastic?
1: Yeah, it's all about the size. The fact that they are so small means that they can interact with even very small organisms. For example, zooplankton. Zooplankton, very tiny, beautiful organisms that live everywhere in all the ocean. And they can be uh, very fundamental for a marine ecosystem because they are the base of the food chain. So if they interact with microplastic, and we know that that's happened because we have a lot of study that uh, investigated the potential ingestion of microplastic by zooplankton, that means that they can pass the microplastic to the food chain, so we can uh, observe the accumulation process. But also they can impact directly these small organisms because they can have, as a result, some negative physiological effect. So even if we don't see a direct mortality, at some point there will be a subletal effect because, for example, the change in the way to swim, the change in the way they produce eggs, the change in the way they interact in the food interaction when they're looking for a prey. So in a long time scale, this is a big problem. If you think about that, the total mass of zooplankton is a huge, than the total mass of a human being.
0: And your point there on bioaccumulation coming from or starting with zooplankton, is that the reason why coverage of Antarctic microplastic should be
1: increased? The problem of uh, Antarctic is, uh, is quite uh, huge because, as you know, Antarctic and the Southern Ocean is uh, the most remote uh, wilderness place in the world. Now, since we have found the plastic in Botpol, in the Arctic Antarctic, that's means that plastic have already made the tour of the world. So it's everywhere. And the difficulty with Antarctic region is that, since it's remote, it's not so easy to reach this place. It's not too rich, easy to study this place, to investigate this place. So, so far, the study of microplastic, or plastic in general in Antarctic, is a very early stage. We don't know too much about source sink and we don't know about the fate of plastic there. What we know is that plastic already exists in this place. And if we don't know the potential risk because we don't have enough study, we cannot mitigate the potential impact. That's why it's very, very important to increase the coverage of study that identify potential uh, risk hotspot of impact of microplastic or plastic in this region.
0: So it's a very remote and hostile environment, but you have managed to work there. Your recent research project took you to South Georgia, I believe, in the Southern Ocean, where you found plastic concentrations of between 4.6 and 3.2 microplastic parts per litre in freshwater lakes. Is that a lot or a little?
1: Of course, uh, I guess that for you sounds a little bit little, but despite that, uh, is a, a relatively uh, big number if we think where we found this amount of plastic. And uh, another thing that we should... Uh, think about is that it's not just a matter of number, because we're talking about Antarctica. Marine organisms in Antarctica, they are very different from organisms in the other place. That's because they don't get used to natural environmental fluctuation. They live in a very stable environment, no, no big change in temperature. Otherwise, we do not understand why climate change and global warming is going to affect this creatures they don't get used to change. The temperature is pretty much similar during the year. So everything that gets inside the system and generates perturbation, despite small, can generate a cascading effect. That's why, again, it's very important that we focus in this place. This small amount can be uh, relatively important. We don't know so far the threshold of toxicity of the marine organism, the main key species that live there. Another important uh, aspect is that Antarctica is a system under threat. Already from the um, ecosystem point of view, in fact, we know that there is a lot of climatic stressor. I already mentioned global warming, but it's also hot spot of ocean acidification, and also other pollutants are already there. So, if we think about microplastic or plastic in isolation, maybe the problem is uh, not so relevant. Yet, but if we think about the combination of so many environmental stress, that can have a huge impact, and there are relevant studies that already show that the combination of microplastic with ocean acidification, for example, can increase the chance of mortality in small little creatures that live in Antarctica.
0: And can I ask why did you focus on freshwater lakes, and are there any uh, research projects that look at the Southern Ocean itself?
1: Yeah, I, I didn't focus specifically in the freshwater lake. This was one of my, the projects that I developed with one of my PhD students. Uh, my students spent two months around South Georgia, and he picked up uh, different uh, samples in different ecosystems around South Georgia, including also the fresh lake. The objective of the study was to understand if there were more uh, habitats that maybe are more at risk compared to other habitats. So it was investigating fresh lake, but also snow and also shore, open sea, etc. And of course, the fresh lake was quite interesting because it was quite isolated, also relatively far away from the research base. We were quite surprised that we found microplastic there as well.
0: And do you know how the microplastics get into freshwater lakes in South Georgia or into the water of the Southern Ocean?
1: Uh, That's a very good question, actually. One of the main things that we should address more in the future is to understand the source of microplastics. Of course, we know that there can be long distance source or short distance source. Long distance source can be just wind. Seems uh, really impossible, but it's possible because as I said, the plastic can be in very small fragment. When they're very small, they can just uh, travel very far away just because wind. And also, in addition to that, we know that plastic, does, we know that Antarctica, despite isolated, is still a place where there are a lot of tourism, there are research station. So we can also bring a certain amount of plastic if we don't pay attention. And in addition to that, it's a place where there is a lot of fishery, because uh, it's a place where commercial fish is working quite a lot, especially during the winter. So it's a combination of activity that can contribute, in addition to the long term, long distance. To this amount of microplastic. But for the moment, the source of who produced what is not clear. We need more investigation.
0: The reason why I ask, Clara, is because I understand that in 2022, scientists found for the first time microplastics in freshly fallen Antarctic snow. How is that possible?
1: The same reason that brings us to find microplastic in the fresh lake can explain also why we found microplastic in the fresh snow. It can be because wind, but also because maybe there is some activity, local activity, that contributed to this uh, uh, amount of microplastic. But again, the message is that this system is not protected anymore. So Antarctic doesn't have a natural barrier to stop microplastic to get in. Even between current, there can be a long transport, a long distance of microplastic. Before, everybody was thinking that the Antarctic circumpolar current that go all around Antarctica can act as a physical, natural barrier. But we know that this is not the case anymore. So again, in addition to wind and the local activity, also just long distance current can bring microplastic in that region.
0: And microplastics, when they land either in snow or are carried through um, ocean currents, they can accelerate global warming. Is that correct? Particularly on the continent in the snow.
1: I think that this, uh, this stage is just a speculation. So we can speculate about that. We are not sure. There are no data. The first data just show that there is a certain amount of plastic in the snow. And we know that, of course, if we increase the amount of anthropogenic material, that can be also plastic, this will affect on the surface the ability of the snow to reflect or absorb the uh, ultraviolet light. So the energy, the temperature can change on the base of that, but we don't have results about this. So as I, as I said, it's just a speculation based on the fact that we should not expect anthropogenic particles there, not just plastic. Any kind of anthropogenic particle can change the way the system and the planet is working, including the way the planet absorbs energy and the reflect back energy.
0: Because as you said, once upon a time it was an isolated system and now it's no longer. Um, returning to the Southern Ocean, what is the main effect from marine plastics in water and sea ice? We've already touched on... By accumulation, of course.
1: Yeah, in the, the main uh, effect of uh, microplastic uh, is that uh, microplastics is so small that it can sink. That's the huge difference. When we talk about a large uh, piece of plastic, they can float, and we can see them floating. But if we compare the estimation of the amount of total uh, plastic that uh, was waste in the ocean and the amount of plastic that we see on the surface of the ocean we see that there is a big gap. Now, the amount of on the surface is very low. It's one order of magnitude lower than what we waste in the ocean. That means that there is a missing piece. So what's happened to the, all the plastic that get waste in the ocean? The reality is that plastic don't stay in the ocean. Most of them, they just sink. And more they get smaller, they more they can sink. That's why microplastic, especially in the Southern Ocean, is a problem that does not affect just the surface, but all the water column, also the deep sediment. And in the case of the ice, have been already proved that ice is a sink for microplastic. So plastic gets accumulated there, the amount is higher than what we found in the water. That means that when ice melt, and we know that melt maybe just because of the change in the season, it releases a huge amount of relative high amount of microplastic compared to what we found in the water and ice is a point of contact for a lot of organisms. a lot of organisms they just feed under the ice that means that is a potential bioavailable process that generates a huge interaction between organism and microplastic
0: so ice it sounds like is a really critical part of the system in antarctica some of your earlier work discovered that krill in particular sequester carbon in not one but two ways. Could you explain how krill take carbon and uh, sequester it?
1: Yeah, that's correct. So the, the ocean in general provides us a huge ecosystem service because it's able to uptake CO2 from the atmosphere. And the way it do that is with several mechanisms that encompass biology and the uh, physical process. If we focus on biology, one of the processes is called the biological carbon pump. That is the way phytoplankton just convert carbon, uh, CO2, in, in particular organic carbon by photosynthesis. Once it's uh, fixed in the phytoplankton, carbon gets ingested by zooplankton, such like trill. And the krill act as an elevator. They can move zooplankton from the surface to the deep ocean sediment. When, zooplankton, when the carbon moves from the surface to the deep ocean, it's stored. So it's not back to the atmosphere anymore. We say that the carbon gets sequestered. And that's why the ocean can, uh, uh, in a way, mitigate climate change. In terms of uh, krill, krill do that also by uh, producing a huge amount of fishes. So a huge amount of poo. And the, the feces of krill is rich in carbon. So they ingest carbon and they adjust carbon in form of feces. Feces are very heavy. They sink very fast and they can reach quickly the sediment. So that's the mechanism that promotes the CO2 transport along with the water column. And then we recently discovered that in addition to the feces, also the production of uh, exuvia, that is the way they molt during the time, can uh, contribute to this export of carbon. In fact, krill really during the last stage, a little bit like a snake, need to change the skin several times. So we produce and release this isoskeleton. The isoskeleton just uh, sink along the water column and bring a lot of carbon. To give you an example of how this process can be relevant from the planet Earth, uh, the, if we think about the total population of krill in the Southern Ocean, they produce an amount of uh, carbon that can sink along the water column by fishes that is equivalent to the CO2 domestic produced in UK. So it's a very huge number. That means that we need this system to preserve and to mitigate the climate change.
0: How interesting. And that's so important to underscore the importance of krill uh, in the Antarctic ecosystem. Um, One of my final questions, Clara, is on Antarctica itself and how isolated it is. It's quite short. Is Antarctica still the world's last remaining wilderness, in your opinion?
1: Despite uh, what we have discussed so far, Antarctica and the Southern Ocean in general I still remain one of the most pristine regions in the entire world. That's mean that means that it is even more important to try to preserve this system. And uh, I want to also give a kind of a positive message. We learn from the past that it is possible to reverse the trend, for example, with oil spill. Oil spill was a huge problem. It's still a huge problem. But if we look to the trend in the last uh, 15 years about the amount of oil spill in the ocean, this drastically uh, decreased. And that's because there were very strong target action against this issue. So we can do exactly the same. We need uh, to work together. And when I say work together, I mean uh, work together between scientists, but also with the tourists, For example because we know that the tourism is going to increase and also with the fishery industry to generate a a strong signal that can make the policymaker to act in a way that we can reverse the trend and that is still possible because as you said it's still a very pristine region.
0: Clara thank you very much for joining us today and talking to us in such detail about the Southern Ocean.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me it was a very pleasure to spend this time with you.
0: Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the Ask the Geographer podcast series on iTunes and SoundCloud.com. Be inspired and stay informed with the Society's wide range of resources, many of which are free. School membership unlocks access to other excellent resources, including online lectures and many other tailor-made benefits for teachers and students. Access our resources at www.rgs.org schools.